beautiful way to worship and praise God in song. Man, is this a great day or what? It is. You realize what we just sang? Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. You know, people call this like the sanctuary. You're the sanctuary. He's within you. That Holy Spirit, whenever you're baptized into Christ, Acts 2.38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's a promise. Maybe we talk about those 7,000 promises in the Word of God. It's a promise to you and to your children and to those who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Thank God that he's called us to be his family and he's filled us. And today, we're going to pray that the Lord prepares us to be his sanctuary and to store up the word of God in our hearts so that we can have that as we fight the battles that face us because it's a happy new year. It's 2020, and it's not only the start of a new year, but it's a new decade. It's a new decade for us to be in Christ. So before we get into it, though, we got some announcements. We've got... Wednesday night Bible class at 7 o'clock and that'll be Genesis chapter 13 this week is where we'll be at and we're going to talk about that and then afterwards we're going to have some fellowship in the back with some snacks and everything and uh, it's going to be a great time so if you can be here and it's we just have a great fellowship and a study in the word of God if you're interested in walking they had started to walk some of the gals had started to walk this uh, fall uh, over at the school but it got cold and so um, measured off in here and if you take the stairs and across and down up the classroom and through and through the gym and back around that circle 10 laps is a mile if you don't want to do the stairs and you just want to go from the gym through here and around there and back around 14 laps is a mile and so they're going to start walking again inside here where it's warm and out out of the weather and so if you want to start walking, see Brenda Wade. They had been doing it on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and, and if that's convenient with most folks, that's probably when it will be. But um, get with her, and, and that'll be a good thing. Uh, the annual meeting for the church is next Sunday after services. So uh, please plan on staying and hearing about the works that are going on. And speaking of that, out there in the foyer, we've got some lists out there, some sign-up lists. For the year going forward, we got lists for uh, Kids Life Breakfast for helping to prepare that for the young'uns, uh, for teaching of the classes for the kids, and for building cleaning. So if, if you can help out and be a servant in any of those ways, go ahead and sign up on the, on the list out there. They'd love to have the help. And I also placed another prayer list out there. Uh, it's a prayer list for... Um, all of us that are either sick or know somebody that's sick and you want prayers to be up for them because I've, I've had quite a few this week. I knew last week a lot of people were sick. So if you want prayers through the week this week, sign the yellow pad that I've got out there and you're going to be in prayers and I can put it on the church Facebook page too so that the prayer warriors get out and, and we get several hundred people praying for you. So know that that's what we do as a family in the body of Christ here is we pray for each other and we help each other out. And we have a list on the side here too that's usually ongoing. And lastly, the Secret Sister party got canceled 
during Christmas time because of the weather and the snow. So they're going to hold it again on January 13th uh, in the gym at 630 if you want to participate in that. So I think that's, oh, and in the back, we've got a pantry in the back. So this is a praise and pantry weekend. So uh, after services today, in the gym, there's boxes and stuff, but we made a run to Gleaners Friday, and we've got some things so that if you want something to take home with you, uh, we've got food, we got some meats, we got snacks, we got apples and onions and potatoes, we got all kinds of stuff. So if you need anything or you know somebody that needs something, go ahead and, and grab a box and take it for yourself or for them, all right? And as we get ready for the Word of God this morning, we'll go in a silent prayer for a minute for you to prepare yourself to be a sanctuary, and then I'll close us out as we get ready to begin. Father, prepare our hearts to be a sanctuary, sanctuary for you and your word, that you will work through us in this world to lead those to Christ. And Father, we have come here today hungering and thirsting after your righteousness and after your word. So Father, as we thirst, may your holy water rain down upon our skin. May the manna from heaven feed us and satisfy us. Nourish us with your holy word, Father, for we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that's proceeded forth from your mouth. And Father, today we're going to study an old, old story, but it's just as relevant for us today as it was the day that it happened and when it was written for our learning. And we praise you for what we're about to study and through it all, in everything that we do, that we say, and that we ask, it's all so that you will be glorified. And we pray, Father, that you will be glorified and exalted today as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. 2020, as we said, we got a new year and a new decade. I, I think I'm even going to jump up here today. Some folks like it up here, some like it down there, so we're going to go up here today a little bit. There goes the church of the future. 2020, a new year, a new decade that we're going to have. And, you know, if you remember history, do you remember what they used to call the 1920s? Yeah, the Roaring Twenties. Now, I don't know if this is going to be the Roaring Twenties again or not. The way things are going in the world, it could be. But I, I say let's put our hope and our trust and our faith in God and that the only thing that's going to roar is His Word and his power through these communities, and so that everybody gets turned towards Christ and believe in Christ. And uh, that's what's going to be roaring through here. And I know last week that I had told you that I was going to do a lesson on Levi the tax collector and his, uh, the grace that God showed him through that. Sometimes I'm not in charge. <laughs> he is. And sometimes he, he leads me to do something different. And through this week... It was to go to an old, old story. And that's what's needed to start this year and this decade off with is David and Goliath. 
So if you would, if you brought your Bibles, and if you don't, there's one in the pew in front of you, but turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going we're gonna to be there today. This is my favorite story. If I get animated, if I get a little carried away, forgive me, because this is my favorite story, and I love it, and I love to tell this story. So grab a hold of 1 Samuel chapter 17, and as we get ready to study it, I want you to know that God's character is immutable and that it doesn't change. And what that means is he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same God that we're going to read about with David is the same God that you and I serve today. This is the same God with the same power and the same workings in our life as it worked in this time. And so as we look at this, don't look at this as a story that happened then. Look at this as something that God can work through us today. He is alive. His word is alive and it's powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And we're going to see what happens with a sword today because it's going to slay some giants. So the one thing as we go through this year though and we go through this decade is the one thing I want you to remember from this and to place it in your heart is the battle's not yours. The battle is the Lord's. It's the Lord's battle. You are a child of God and as his child there are a lot of things that we can't handle on his own and when we try we usually mess it up. I usually, I had one preacher who used to like to say, how's that working out for you? You trying to do it all on your own and yourself. Don't do it. He's going to say, he told Moses as they were backed up on that Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was coming down, he said, stand still and watch the Lord work for you. And here, David's going to say, the battle is the Lord's. Sometimes you got to know which battle is yours and which battle is not yours and to turn over to him. And most of the time, the battle is going to be the Lord's as we get into there. So now, if you're there with me, this chapter is too long to read it through some 58 verses and then come back and go through. So we're just going to let it unroll and unravel just naturally as we go through it this time, all right? And in verse 1 there, we find that Israel and the Philistines are arrayed in battle. And it says that over here by Soko is the Philistine army. And they're up there. There's a, there's a valley in between these two. And, and they're up there on these two hills over there in Soko and Azekah. And then there's this other valley and a mountain behind it. And it's uh, the valley of Elah. And they're in Ephraim's Damin on the Philistines. And we're in, in God's people are in the valley of Elah. Ephraim's Damin. You know, I like to give you words. Because a part of being able to know the promises of God is vocabulary. Knowing what these words mean. The word for damin comes from the root dam, which is blood. This is the field of blood. Ephraim's damin, the field of blood. Pretty soon it will be because the battle is the Lord's. So they're out there and they're standing there and you got this army on one side. You got the Hebrew army on the other side and they're getting arrayed for battle. But the battle never happens. Because what happens is, is this giant's going to keep coming down. And he's going to keep running out these threats and everything. Um, it tells us that his name is Goliath. And he's from Gath. And it says that he is uh, six cubits in a span. Well, that means he's nine foot, nine inches tall. I mean, this is a big dude. He's really huge. And then it talks about his armor. 
and how it's 5,000 shekels weight, which is about 150 pounds. So here we got a guy that's huge, he's strong, he's big, even his armor weighs 150 pounds that he walks around with like it's nothing. And then he's also got shin guards and a brass helmet. And he's got all of these things going on. And people like to go on and on about how big he was and about all of these trappings that he had with him. But you know why? Because God wants you to know and put those details there that he was trusting in the things of the world. He wasn't trusting in God. He worshipped false gods. He was of the worldly system and he trusted in himself. And he trusted in his might and his power and his size and the things he wore. David's going to trust in the Lord God. That's where you place your trust, not in these other things because they're going to fail you. You know, his, his spear was so big that it says that it was the weight, it was the length of a weaver's beam and the head weighed so many shekels. That meant it was a 17-pound iron head and with the shaft it weighed 35 pounds total. Right here is a picture of a replica of that that was made and donated to the Creation Museum and is on display. Now, when you take a look at that and you think about the size of the fella that's going to hold something like that and is able to chuck it at you at a certain distance, that was a big old boy, wasn't it? I don't want to be on the receiving end of that. How about you? No. I don't see Jeff here today. Jeff was supposed to be here today and I was supposed to wear a Cutler jersey from the Bears because if you was here before as the, the season of football got ready to kick off, he wanted to make a bet with me and I made a bet with him. I'm a Raiders fan. I have been since I was five years old. And he said, Raiders, they, they stink. Bears going to have a better season. Let's put a bet on it. So we had bet for a dinner, but then he changed it now that now that the Bears... Got one game better. They were tied going into the last week, and the Bears won, and, and my Raiders lost. So I said, well, I guess I owe you dinner. And he goes, no, I want you to preach in a Cutler jersey. <laughs> I want you to preach in a Cutler jersey of when he was with the Bears. I said, okay, bring it, and I'll wear it. And what I was going to tell Jeff was that if Goliath was no better at passing that spear that Cutler was with that football, I wouldn't have to worry about a thing anyway. But nevertheless, I'll bet he was a little better, and I bet it, it was pretty scary. And he trusted in all of these things for his protection. And you know why you see this, and now you know why the children of Israel were not very chippy to go out and face him as he's throwing those things out there, right? They, they don't want to be on the losing end of that. And here's another thing that they had going and why God is telling you all of this about his coat of armor and his helmet and his sword and his spear and his javelin and made of brass. If, if Hold your place there in chapter 17 and go backwards four chapters to chapter 13. God gives us a clue as to why he put all of this out here to build our faith in him for. Because you see... It says in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, before we get here, that 
There is no blacksmith in the land of Israel. You see, the Philistines had learned how to forge weapons and to take metal and to heat it and to turn it into the things that they wanted. Now, they would make plowshares, they would make ox goads, and even an axe for the splitting of wood and things for those Hebrews. And people would come in and buy them, and that's how they would gain their money and trade. But they had, they had something else, so... They knew how to make weapons of war, but they said, we need a strategic advantage over our enemies so we don't sell any weapons of war. Actually, if you had any of those things that you bought, you even had to go to them to have it sharpened, the word of God says. And so it says there in verse 22 of chapter 13 that it came about that on the day of battle that there was neither sword or spear found in any of the people of God it only lay with Saul and his son Jonathan. So in other words, the king and his son had enough money and clout to be able to finagle a way to gain some armor and a sword, but nobody else had it. So now you see that you've got a huge army of the Philistines and they have all of this armor on all of their folks and they've got all of these weapons and God's people David is going to have his shepherd stuff. He's going to have a stick, and he's going to have a rock, and he's going to have a sling, and that's what David's going to go out there with. Do you see why they're not too chippy? So that as that giant is standing down there, and he starts that first day, and he goes from their mountain into the valley and looks up at him, and he says, Somebody send me a man! We're going to fight! Why do we need this whole big battle? Just me and your best. You send the top dog and we'll go mano a mano. And if you win, <laughs> like there's a chance, we'll serve you. But if I win, then you all will be our servants. He shouted that out. Nobody was a frog and jumped out there to do it. You know why? Because they saw him. They saw that spear that we saw. We, they see his iron, they see how big he is, and they got sticks. And so they're all kind of going back, no, you first, no, you first. We would too, wouldn't we? That's kind of sometimes how we face the world and the problems that come along, isn't it? Look at that. And we just fall back, and we get fear, and we, we wait on somebody to help us or somebody to do something when we're supposed to be relying upon the God of heaven. And so God's going to send his warrior to him. To, to bring them out of that. Goliath is four feet taller than the average Hebrew person. Nine foot nine. He, the average size was about our size. You know, five nine, five ten, six foot around there. He's four feet taller. But now, back to verse 8 of our chapter that we're in there with David. It says in verse 8 of chapter 17 that Goliath walked down into the valley and he cried out to the armies of the Lord. They're all lined up in battle, but let's settle this like a man. Here I am, a Philistine, and you, you all are the servants of Saul. Send your top dog to battle with me, and if I win, you'll be our servants. If you win, we'll be yours. But it says in verse 11 that all Israel heard the words of the Philistines, and they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, that section of the word of God is there to set the stage of what was happening. But now it's going to shift focus 
to the one who's going to come in and bring a change. And that's our man David. So David comes in in verse 12 and he's described as the son of Jesse. And it says that Jesse is now an older man in Israel. And he had had eight sons. Three of those sons went to be with Saul in this battle, the three eldest. And that was Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah. And so they were there at the battle. And like any good father, Jesse don't know here at home, back on the home front, what's going on in the battlefield with his sons. And he's concerned and he wants some answers. So he gets David, his youngest son, who's out in the sheepfold tending the sheep. And he says, come in here, son. And he says, I've, I've got this grain, I've got some bread that I want you to take to your brothers out there on the battlefront. And I also got some cheese that I want you to give to their commanding officer because, you know, it never hurts to kind of grease the wheels that's above you a little bit. Maybe things will work out pretty good for him. So he says, David, I want you to take these things out to him there on the battlefield. And then I want you to come back and bring me the report of what was going on. So it says then that uh, Jesse um, sent him and David responded and he went ahead and did what it was. And then it says that as they got out there and he got to the place of where the battle was in the camp in verse 20. David had obeyed and brought all the things and it says he got into the camp and there was a supply keeper. And he handed those things over to the supply keeper because something was in the air. There was excitement, but yet some fear, and there was things going on and shouting. And so he handed that over, and he goes rushing over to where uh, the front line was, and he starts hearing things, and people are talking about what's going on down there in the valley. And David hears some things that's going on, and it's the Word of God says that this giant came out into the valley, thundering up his challenge and that this was day 40. You know the number 40. Has a lot of importance in the word of God. Do you know it's used 146 times? Sure it tells about a span of time. 40 days. But and, and sometimes 40 years. You'll see that a lot of the kings. Were reigning for 40 years. But 40 is not only just a period of time. Usually when it's with days, it's a period of testing. You see, God is testing that army to see what they're made of. He's testing the people of God to see who their trust is in. Jesus was led after his baptism into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for what? At 40 days and 40 nights. The flood, it rained for... 40 days and 40 nights. Because it's a period of testing and hopefully for change. It's a period of testing and change and what is you made of. And so here we have this giant testing for 40 days. And it says that he is defying the children of God with what he's doing. I want to ask you a question. Don't raise your hand, play poker, don't even smile or put a look on your face that gives it away. How long you been battling your giant? How long has whatever it is that causes you problems in your life, causes you fear, causes you anxiety, causes you problems, 
How long has that giant come down into your valley every morning and every evening screaming up at you, hurting you, making you shrink back? The very thought of seeing him walk down there, it said, made them turn their tails in fear and in dreadful fear. How long has the very thought of whatever's bothering you been going on? Isn't 2020 the year that we slay that giant? Any giant that it is, any problem, any troubles, isn't this the year that we take care of that giant? We got to get focused on the thing, though. We got to get focused on the way to do that. And that's what we're getting ready to talk about because God's sending David to be that example of what it, what it is on how you take him out and put him out of commission for good. So David arrives on the scene and he gives those things to the supply keeper and he goes running out. And um, always in the background of your battle are people, other people. Sometimes it's who you work with, sometimes it's friends, sometimes it's loved ones. But there's always people. And you know what people try to do? Without even really knowing it, they test you too, don't they? Sometimes they try to distract you from the mission that you're on to be able to take care of your giant. First distraction that David really has right here is Eliab, his brother. He goes out there and he's hearing what they're saying and that this giant's been coming down here for 40 days and testing all of them and defying the army of God, and yet they're all turned tail. David is saying, why? Why is this uncircumcised Philistine allowed to defy the armies of God? And it says that Eliab and his brother, whenever he heard that, in verse 25, they say, have you seen him though? He keeps coming up. Surely he's come up to defy Israel. That word defy has at its root, it means to strip away, to reveal what's underneath. You see, this time of testing was to strip away all the facade and all of the charades and the masks that we put out there to strip us down bare to expose what's really going on within us. And he says, don't you see that he is doing that to our army? And you realize that that's your enemy and that David says, though, you know, it's time that we face that giant and we put him out of commission. The men of Israel are running, but David says no. And then he comes up there and his brother says, why are you here? I know what you're doing. You just want to step in on the battle. Miss T, I know I'm going everywhere, but I'm just doing this from my head and my heart. You see? Goliath had hit the nail on the head. I'm not going to ask Miss T to find that slide, but if in your Bible, if you're following along in verse 8, when Goliath first came down and made that challenge, he said, I am a, surely am I not a Philistine, and you the servants of who? Saul. Who should they be the servants of? You know what? When we start placing our trust, our our example to follow in people, it's going to cause us to go astray sometimes, isn't it? Because if our leader is God, we're going to have courage. And he says, I don't give you a mind of fear, but I give you a sound mind and of love and of hope. But that fear's not in there. But what's Saul doing? He's fearful. 
He's a yellow-bellied coward right now, hiding back in the middle and offering rewards for people to go out and to fight this guy. He's the leader. He should step out and say, I challenge you because I am the leader underneath of God and God is my witness. He's going to take this battle and make it a victory. But you see, when your leader is running hightail, the pack follows. So everybody is afraid. And David steps out. Goliath made that prophecy from the Holy Spirit, leading it to be written that you are servants of Saul, not of God. But David comes into the picture, and in verse 26, he said, Really? The one who kills this giant is going to get Saul's daughter as a wife, and he's going to get riches and the family be tax-exempt forever? And you guys are allowing him to defy who? Who does David refer it to? The army of God. He's, he's defying the army of God, not the army of Saul. We've got to place our trust in the living God and not let him give us this disgrace and this reproach upon who we are. God has promised in his word to go before you and to, to prepare the enemies. For your victory. But it's up to you. To take the initiative to go ahead and slay the giant. That he's leading you and giving you the power to do. Through being filled with his Holy Spirit. And a lot of times. Like we said it's those that we know. That we work with or that we love. That tries to distract us from our mission. In verse 28 Eliab hears. And he sees what David's doing. And he says, why did you come here anyway, brother? He says, where did you leave that little bunch of sheep at? And who with that you're taking care of? And I know why you're here, son. Because of the pride that's in your heart. And you just wanted to see what we were doing. I'm going to give you a tip. Something that I found out after being supervisor at a place. And after study of the word of God is that. When people are running their mouth off at you and they're accusing you of things and saying these kind of things to you, you know what they're revealing? What's really within them. They only know what to reveal what is in their heart and what they're thinking. Out, didn't Jesus say, for out of the mouth the heart speaks. So, what they're really up to or what they really are or what they're really thinking is most of the time what they're accusing you of. So I want you to know something. It said in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul told us that we don't battle against flesh and blood. But our battle is against principalities and powers, against the rulers, the spiritual wickedness and darkness. And those places, that is who our battle is with. So you've got to focus on the mission and not on the distraction. Eliab is a distraction, and what he is saying is your pride. It's basically his own pride. He's jealous. You say, Daryl, how you know that? Well, this is his little brother, and he's the eldest brother, and he's supposed to be out there like this. Now, I want you to turn back with me one chapter. Turn back to chapter 16, if you would. Chapter 16, this is what was going on. David was out in the sheepfold. Samuel the prophet comes because God has said, I'm going to anoint a new king over Israel. 
Saul doesn't have in his heart to be my leader. I need a new one that's after my own heart. Samuel, you go to the house of Jesse. You go to Jesse's house and Jesse's got some sons and I want you to anoint one of his sons to be king over my people Israel. Samuel goes and if you're following along, you know who it says the first son that Jesse, when Samuel called for your sons, who was the first one that Jesse trotted out? Eliab, the eldest. Eliab is his favorite. Eliab is tall. He's strong. He is a handsome man and one that people could look at and say, yeah, I'd follow him. And as he prays out, Samuel says the same thing. He gets caught up in it. Yeah, this must be the guy. This is surely the Lord's anointed. And it goes, no. The Lord put it in his heart and said, no, I have not chosen him. This isn't the one. And so he called for another. And that second son that is with Saul now. Abinadab, nope, it's not him. The third son, Shaman, nope. And they go through seven of them. There was none found. And, and Samuel said, do you have any more sons? I'm supposed to be here for a son, but the Lord keeps saying it's none of these. And you know what Jesse says? I got one. I got one left, but he's the youngest, man. We, we don't invite him to anything. He's out in the sheepfold, out in the field taking care of the sheep. You don't want nothing to do with him. Samuel says, we are not going to eat. We're not going to do anything until you bring that son here to me. And when this ruddy, smaller David comes walking in, the heart of Samuel starts going and the Lord says, this is him. This is him, Samuel. And the message is to all of us as well. The Lord does not look on outward appearances like the world looks at. And like you thought that Eliab is surely the man. But the Lord looks at the heart. And the heart of this man is a heart of someone I can trust. And you know how come the Lord knows he can trust him? Because David has been faithful in the little things. In the little things. He doesn't get invited to the party. When Samuel's coming over, we leave him out in the field. If David had the same kind of heart as Eliab had, when Eliab faced him up there and started saying some stuff about him, David would have got back in his grill, wouldn't he? David didn't get back in his grill. His focus is on the mission that God's got him on and not on the distractions. I want you to go through 2020 with your focus on the mission that God's got for you and not on the distractions that's going and buzzing around beside of you. David was faithful in the little things. In a moment, we're going to find that he was even faithful when nobody was watching him in some stuff. I'm just going to go ahead and do this from memory. Okay, I don't even know where I'm at. I had 10 pages, and we're just going from memory here. So what happens is, David comes and he starts saying that and his brother says, We're, you're, you're just prideful. And he says, no, it's not. And you know what he does after he tells his brother that? He's, what he said was, is, what have I done? In other words, I've not do anything to deserve what you're telling me. And you know what the next words is in the next verse it says that David did? He turned away from his brother and turned back to the people that he was talking to. When you got somebody that's trying to distract you from what's going on, you don't get in with it. You say, I'm, 
I'm not going to be a part of this. When people ask you, what do you think about so-and-so? I don't. I don't think about that. Well, what do you think about this that's going on in the world? I don't know. I don't try to think about that. I got a, a, a mission that I'm on, and I'm not going to fall into the distraction that's going to separate and divide. So he says, I have no part in that, and you know that. And he turns his back on him and turns around to the other folks, and that's what I want you to do from now on too. And he focuses on them. He said, now what was it that was offered for the one that will go out there and slay this giant? And they tell him again those same things. Well, he says, I can do that. I will take that challenge. Well, people's listening like they always do. And one of the runners goes up to the king Saul and he says, Saul, we got a guy back here saying that he's going to be able to slay the giant and go out there here on D40 and take care of this business. Saul says, bring him to me. They bring him. He's expecting someone like Eliab, but he gets David. And he looks at David and he said, you're not able to do that. That must have been what everybody's thinking, right? I mean, in reality, Saul says what everybody's thinking. You're not able to do that. Well, why not? He says, because you're a youth. Now, he's 18 years old, mind you. And the war, people who go to war are 20 and above. And that's why he's calling him a youth. He's around 18, 17 to 19. He's not yet a man of war per se. So he says, you are but a youth. This guy has been a warrior from his youth on. Oh, yeah? Now, here's where David has been faithful in those little things. David says, let me tell you something, King Saul. He says, your servant. So there he's got respect. Even though he's just put him down, he's put David down. He still respects God's king that's in charge right now. And he says, let me tell you something. Your servant was out there in that sheepfold that everybody teases me about. I was out there by myself with those sheep. The whole time that David's out there in the wilderness, you know what he's doing? He's worshiping God. He's praising God. He's getting filled with the influence from God of what God can do with him. And you know what God has done? God has prepared him for the battle that lies before him. The things that you go through in your life that you think are traumatic or were bad, if you will look back, God is preparing you for the things that lie ahead. So that when you've had those charges of the mosquitoes and you were able to defeat them, when the charge of the elephant or the rhino comes, you have the faith that God carried me through that and he will carry me through this. And so David says, your servant, while he was out there on the pasture, I had a bear and a lion who came up to take one of my sheep. And these were two separate instances. And if you'll read it very closely, he says, one I slew, the bear. The bear, he was able to slay right away. And he says, and I took my lamb from out of his mouth. But the lion, the lion arose. You know why? Because he didn't kill him with the first whack and he only made him mad. And a lion can move, he can run a hundred yard dash in about 5.8 seconds. So that's why when you go lion hunting, you've always got a guide with another gun. Because if your shot don't miss, you've got five seconds before he's jumping in your face if he's even a hundred yards away. So you've got to have some backup whenever you're doing that. 
And that first shot only made him angry. And it says that that lion arose and sprang upon me. And he says, but what I did was, he said, I grabbed that lion when he came to me by his beard. And I pulled him down eye to eye. And I killed and slew that lion. And the same God that allowed me to stand against the paw of the bear and the same God that allowed me to stand against the paw of the lion is going to deliver me from this giant as well. You know what Saul says? God be with you. Go ahead. And he says, here, I want you to wear my armor. You see, he's, him and his son's the only one that's got armor and got a sword. So he gives David the armor and he gives David the sword of the king. But David serves another king. He puts that stuff on. And Saul, if you read back when he was anointed, he's head and shoulders above anyone in Israel. So he's probably a foot and a half taller than David, and his stuff don't fit. And David's trying to clunk out there, and he says, this stuff don't work. I've not tested it in battle. I've tested God. And I'm going to rely on God. And he says, I ain't wearing this. And he takes that stuff off. Because in a minute, he's going to tell not only the children of Israel who are listening back here, he's going to tell all of us, and he's going to tell Goliath, the Lord doesn't save by a sword or a spear, but he saves by himself and his mighty works. And it's the Lord who is going to do the battle for me. And so he goes out there, and it says as he goes, that he stops in, the, in that valley of Elah. There is the Elah brook that runs through it. And he bent down and he picked up five smooth stones it says he had a stick and he had a sling and he had his bag that he put those rocks in i don't know about you but who's your rock i know who my rock is my rock is jesus christ you know the bible says that when moses was wandering through the wilderness out there that that rock that provided the water for all of them in the wilderness was the Lord Jesus Christ. Look it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That rock that followed them was Christ. Upon that solid rock I stand. Everything else is shifting. Said Jesus said, build your house upon the rock and don't build it upon the sand. Armor and swords and people are shifting sand. They change their minds every day. The Lord doesn't turn or change and you're building your house on the rock. And David put some rocks in his shepherd pouch because that's who he's taken with him is his rock out there to do the battle. And he faces him up and Goliath looks at him and he says kind of in the same way but only meaner the same thing that King Saul said to him. Is this who you're sending out to me? That little guy with a stick? Am I a dog that you bring sticks and staves out to battle with me? David says, now you trust in your armor, but I trust in the Lord. And the Lord God is going to deliver me into my hand today. He says, huh. huh. I am going to kill you and I'm going to feed your carcasses to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said, oh, no, you're not. No, you're not, because my God is going to defeat you. And when it, when it ends, not only is you, but the entire army of the Philistines is going to be laying out there in that field, and the birds of the air and the beasts of the field is going to feast on them because the Lord is going to deliver. He doesn't win a battle with swords and spears, but he wins it by his mighty hand, and the battle is the Lord's. And you know that's really all reference and spiritual stuff that's in our lives. 
Because if you turn back to Revelation 19, the time that the Lord comes back to take the earth for his own and he gives those white garments to all of us who have gone up there to be with him while all of that tribulation time and that stuff's going on, it says that when he comes back on his white horse with King of kings and Lord of lords written upon his thigh, it says that the, the angel says, get ready for the great slaughter and the beasts and the birds of the air, all of those vultures are coming to feast upon the bodies it's going to be like. See, we're talking physical things that are representing spiritual here. And it's your spiritual giants that we're talking about and the spiritual battle. And we're going to lay them out and the birds are going to feast upon all of those giants. So this is all a spiritual reference here. So it says that... Goliath starts walking up towards David. You know what David does? He reaches into his pouch and he gets that rock. That rock that represents his Lord. And he puts it into that sling. And what they did is they... This is a pretty good sized rock. It's not your little pebble. I, I got one right here. It's a smooth stone that's aerodynamic. And whenever it hits him on the forehead, it's going to do some damage, but he's going to wrap that, that little sling, yeah, that rawhide leather around that and pinch it so that it kind of sticks. And then what they'd do, they'd stretch it out like this as they ran and got ready. So David ran at the giant. That has never happened in his life before because he's a giant and he's always intimidated and he's a bully and... The world and things of it likes to bully us and we're not supposed to let it. This bully comes out and we're supposed to run from our bully and shrink in fear and be afraid. But David takes that and he picks it up like this and they come running like that. Actually, for me, it'd be like this. And he come running and then when he got close, he starts doing this. And he lets that thing go. That stone embeds within the forehead of Goliath. And it says that he falls straight down. And any boxer will tell you that when they fall straight down forward, they're out code. If they start doing this backwards, they're not out. But if they fall straight forward, they're out code. He's out code with that stone. How, how well did that armor protect him against the word of the Lord? Not very well. Your power and might's in the word of the Lord. But you know what you got to do with your giants? with the things and the problems of your life. You don't just knock them down so that they can get back up in a little bit. Now, the Lord provides the weapons and the battles the Lord's. That giant, when he fell face down over there, it says David kept on running and sticking out from that giant was the edge of his sword. And it says David took that sword and stood upon top of that man and he whacked it down. And he cut his head off. Go back to that first slide, Miss T. Go back up there. And then he picked up that head. And he held it up high. And you know why he did that? To show every one of us that the battle is the Lord's. And that the Lord did deliver him into his hand. Like he said he was going to do. And the reason he took the head off is. Folks. When you've got your problems down. 
put them down permanently. Give them to God and offer them up in praise to Him and don't let it back into your life. Don't give it a chance. You've got to kill the enemy. You've got to slay the demons. You've got to take them away. Whatever you've got to do with them, if you've got to burn it, if you've got to kick it out, whatever you've got to do, if you've got to get away from it, if you've got to, you've got to take care of what the problem was and you don't let it get back up. You know what Jesus said about that? We'll study it one day. He had a tale about it, and he said, you know, you can clean your house, but if you don't refill it with something good, that the things like Goliath, if you didn't slay it and put the good back in and fill that house up, that that giant will rise back up and look at your house, and he'll say, it's empty. It's cleaned up just for me. And he invites seven more that are worse than him so that they can have a party in your house. We got to protect our house. And to do that, we take care of the problems. And we give it to God and we trust in him and we don't trust in ourselves or in the armor of this world. Sorry. But I want you to know this was written for us so that we look at this and we serve the same God and that 2020 is not only a new year but it's a new decade and let's make this the year that we slay all of those things that try to distract us that try to bring us down that try to haunt us and don't let it happen we take care of it and David first that's the first reason you take the head off the giant you know what the second reason is it was his trophy. Here in a few weeks, Lord willing, I'm going to share with you the rest of this story and the psalm that goes with it because David carried that head with him to his tent that night and then to Jerusalem on display. And the people were standing in the streets shouting, Saul killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. You know why? Because when the battle is the Lord's and the Lord wins the battle, everybody gets excited and starts following after the Lord because someone proved that he actually works and he actually does. And that was his trophy. That was the trophy. And that sword is going to be taken back to the tabernacle. And that sword's going to be on display on the tabernacle. And I will share with you that then too is the rest of the story. Because David's going to still run into some rough patches in his life. And when he does... He's reminded this time, that sword that you took from Goliath is here. Why aren't you believing that God can take away the giant that's in front of you now? Why are you letting yourself get drugged back down again? No, you have trophies that you save because it shows you what you've been through and the Lord brought you through it. And if he brought me through that, he'll bring me through anything. And so that's why you have that trophy as well. So now as we close and the worship team comes on up, I hope you take that with you, not only this year, but through the decade, to trust and rely upon Him. And for those of you who don't have Christ in your life, I pray that today is the day, this new year, this new decade is the day that you bring Christ into your life. You know, it says... If you ask, well, how do I do that? Well, first of all, you believe. And I'm glad you asked that question. 
because it's faith in Christ Jesus, the Son of God that died for your sins. And then you replicate something with that. You replicate in the waters of baptism that commitment now that you believe and that you obey and that you want to go forward and that is a new creature in Christ because the death, burial, and resurrection is imitated in that, in that baptism. You die to self. You bury that old man, Romans says. And when you come back up, you are a new creature in Christ. So it is representing your faith, your belief in the word of God and what God can do for you. And the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. He had some giants in his life and he was about ready to just do himself in. And they hollered and said, we're all here. You don't have to do that. And he come running in and he came to his knees in front of Paul and Silas, who had been in the prison singing praises to God while they were strapped in there. And he said, what must I do to be saved? That's the most important question that anyone can ever ask. He said, what must I do to be saved? And he says, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you can be saved. And he says, I do. But he says, Paul also said, you and your house, you and your household. We just talked about protecting our house, didn't we? You want your household to be there with you too. And so he says, it says that afterwards that that, that jailer released him, took him into his home to feed him. And while they were doing that, Paul and Silas preached the gospel to them. And it says that very hour immediately, they were there together and they were baptized into Christ. So if you want to know what you got to do, that's it. You believe you obey in this, and then Jesus said, and then after that, you learn all the things. Teach him then to observe all the things whatsoever I've commanded you always, or, and I will always be with you. So, if that is you today, then won't you make today the day that you slay that giant and put him down for good and make that decision? And if you're already in Christ, today's the day that we move forward in that faith that the battle is the Lord's, and the Lord's going to win our battles from here on out. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this old beloved story that you've put in your word so that we might have faith in you and what you can do with very little because the battle is yours, Lord. It's not ours. We just have to trust in you. And may today be today that starts the new year, the new decade, the new life in Christ of trusting in you and your battling for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.